Good morning. Yep, thanks, man. So, uh, my name's Tim. Welcome. Uh, I got this wire behind me. Uh, all right, there we go. So we, we've been in this teaching series on uh, First and Second Kings. Uh, we call the series Prophets and Kings. We've been doing it oh, back since mid-springtime now, working our way through these books. And I would encourage you to be uh, reading them yourselves, uh, processing, wrestling with that in your own, in journaling with your, your, your housemates, with your family, your, your small group. And we're going to be continuing today. So I want to uh, invite you, if you're following your Bible, to turn to Second Kings chapter 4. Is where we're going to begin this morning. Uh, first King, First and Second Kings is like a third of the way into uh, the Bible. We're going to be starting away, starting midway through chapter four today. So uh, let's see. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago. I I taught and we talked about this idea that uh, that people become. Like what we most love. We become like what we worship. And we explored that, that, that idea in scripture and we talked about it. And, uh, and in that teaching, I talked about one of, the, uh, one of the, the things that tempted, people were tempted to worship, people were tempted to most love in ancient Israel was this false god, this fake god by the name of Baal. Is it, people remember talking about Baal? Yeah, so, and if you ever miss a teaching, our teachings are online, you can always go back and listen to it. Uh, but Baal is this idol, this fake god that people uh, in the ancient Near East uh, worship. And uh, Baal, he's the storm god. So he's the god that brings the rain, the god of fertility. Uh, he got, he's a god who's powerful, he's violent. And people, people didn't believe that Baal loved human beings. People didn't, they didn't believe that Baal wanted to bless human beings. But they, they did believe they could control, twist Baal's arm, manipulate him. And so that's what they'd do, these sacrifices. To try and, they'd try and get Baal to do stuff for him, make it rain, bring fertility, bring, bring, bring uh, life for them. And so that was how they related with this god, Baal. Well, we talked about it two weeks ago. I want to talk about another god today Baal's arch enemy. So, and the reason we talk about this is to understand what's going around. These are real people in these stories of scripture. What's going around, what's going on around them? So there's another God that some people worshiped in the ancient, uh, no, excuse me, they didn't worship, but there's another God in the ancient Near East by the name of Moat. Can everybody say Moat? Say Moat. Moat, yeah. Moat, no one worshiped him, but people feared Moat. Moat was the arch enemy of Baal. Moat was the god of disease, of drought, of death. Moat is the god of the underworld. Moat is who, when, 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 when someone dies, they go, to Moat's, uh, they go to Moat's land in the underworld. And Moat, the god of, of drought, of death, and Baal, it was understood that these two are, are locked in this eternal struggle. So, so in the, in the wintertime, the rainy season, who's winning? Baal. And then in the summer drought, who's winning? Moat. And if there's a long, like years-long drought, who has the upper hand? Moat. And then when the rains come back, who has gained victory? Baal, right? Yeah, so the, these, these gods, and people didn't, people didn't, wor- people didn't worship moat. They feared moat. They feared disease, drought, death. And they went and they went and they worshiped Baal. They tried to twist, manipulate Baal to do things for them. And, and we hear this, I think, and sometimes like, that's just sound, why would anybody 
that's just weird. It's like a cartoon or something. Why, you know, why are people, you know, buying into this? But I mean, okay, imagine, and even if it helps you to imagine, you can close your eyes, but imagine living in ancient Israel. Imagine your family or your, your housemates, your friends. You're in ancient Israel. And, and in this time of place, there's no grocery store. There's no freezer. There's no bottled water. There's no emergency room. There's no urgent care. There's no antibiotics. There's no painkiller. Imagine your family, imagine your circle of friends, the people you live with now, and you're there and you've got a field. And, and if it rains and crops go grow, you eat. And if it doesn't, and crops don't go, grow, you go hungry. Right? And, and, and it's the, the kids and the elderly and the sick who are going to suffer first and hardest. This, this, there, there were things that, that, that it, it was an insecure time and place. And so these things, this, these things of, of drought, of crops not, rain not falling, crops not growing, uh, of, of getting sick, of getting in, you know, you get a wound, it gets infected. These, these real fears behind them, they believe moat, the God of disease, the God of drought, the God of death stood behind them. So when, you, when we think moat, we th- think the things that people most fear, moat represented that, their deepest fears. And the idea was, you're afraid, of, you're afraid of moat. You're afraid of moat. So come, come worship Baal. Because Baal doesn't love you, but you can manipulate Baal and he'll do things for you. He's powerful. He can make it rain. You're afraid, you're afraid of this. So come put your trust in that. Because, you're, because you're, you're, you dread this, come and, and worship. Come place your trust in that for security, for safety, for prosperity. Right? This, this, and when we read these, when we read these, these scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, we, we need to not only read them with our heads, but we've got to read them with our hearts. We have to feel them, read them with our gut, how they impacted people. And so what I want to do is I want to go to this, this account now in 2 Kings 4 with this idea of this, this Baal. Some people were, the neighbors were saying, you should come worship Baal, and other people, you should be afraid of moat, all in the background while we read 2 Kings 4. Okay? Okay. So we're going to pick up in... 2 Kings 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem. Elisha, prophet of the, the God of Scripture, the living God of reality who made all things to bless them. Elisha, the spokesperson for God, went to Shunem, and that's a town. It's not a person or something. It's a little village. So Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. We're going to skip ahead to verse 14. What, ends up, what happens is Elisha befriends this woman and her husband. He often has to travel through Shunem, and they actually have a guest room there for Elisha. He, he stays there uh, regularly. He's, he's developed this friendship with them. And so Elisha is talking to his assistant Gehazi about this woman, and this is the conversation they have. Verse 14, Elisha says, What can be done for her? The woman at Shunem, Elisha asks. And Gehazi, his assistant, says this, She has no son, and her husband is old. And behind that is this idea that if her husband, if her husband passes away and she has no 
son, to be a widow in this time and place, extremely dangerous, vulnerable situation. So, uh, verse 15, then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. She said, don't get my hopes up. Don't break my heart. Verse 17, but the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Just as Elisha, the spokesperson of the living God of reality, had told her. So, so what? According, according, according to this event, who grants life? Who grants fertility? Does, does Baal do that? No, the, the living God that Elisha speaks for. So, continue on. Verse 18, the child grew. And one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. That's the guest room for Elisha. And then shut the door and went out. Now what happens next, uh, I'll I'll summarize, but what happens is this woman decides to go look for Elisha, the spokesperson of God. And so she saddles up the donkey and uh, and goes, goes out to where Elisha was last seen. And she meets Elisha, tells him what happened, and he heads back to her home. And so we're going to pick up in verse 32, skipping down to 32, when Elisha arrives at this house. So verse 32, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on the boy, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Now I'd love to stop and explain that for you. But I don't think I know exactly what that's all about. I know the prayer part. I'm sure what's going on there. The, you know, and what, who's the like, oh, the seven sneezes. We should record that for eternity. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what's, but, okay. Uh, verse 36. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. That's the, the, the woman. And he did. And when she came in, he said, take your son. She came in fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. The first part of this account, who gives life? Baal? No. The living God uh, that Elisha speaks for. And the second part of this, who is more powerful than moat? The living God of reality. 
can raid the realm of moat. No thing is beyond him. The God that Elisha speaks for is stronger than moat. Moat was what people most feared in this time and place. The God Elisha speaks for is stronger than what people most feared in this time and place. I mean, think about why would this, this would resonate. I mean, think about why this would resonate, how people would receive this in this time and place. Because, because in this time and place, the, 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 the neighbors are telling people, moat is the thing we should fear. Disease, drought, death, moat. We should fear moat. And because we're afraid of moat, we should come and worship Baal. Try and twist his arm and manipulate him and get him to do things for us. And into this, Elisha shows up and says and demonstrates, no, that's not the case. There's the living God who made all things in order to bless this world. The living God who hears the cry of the oppressed, who who rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. This living God, the God who is good, the God who is just, this living God, He is the one who gives life. And this God, even death itself, is not stronger than Him. Now, who... uh, who here grew up in a, a, a small to mid-sized town? Anybody who, who's from kind of a smaller town? Okay, so Shunem, this village where this takes place, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a smaller town. Uh, what happens in a small town when something out of the ordinary occurs? Everybody's laughing. No one talks about it. It's just, oh yeah, stuff like that happens all the time, yeah. No, well, it's like that's it's the news of the day. Everybody's talking about it, right? I grew up in a small town in mid-Michigan, in Mason, Michigan. And I remember as a kid, I was not really up on pop culture. I was certainly not up on hip-hop, rap music. But I knew as a kid, Tupac had stayed in our jail. That was, it was like, you just, this is part of it. You live in Mason, you know, two bucks day in the jail. It's like, wh- why, I, why, did, why was that? But it's like a famous person was at our jail. Can you believe it? It's a small town. Like something out of the ordinary happens, it's a big deal, right? So when when ex- these things happen, it's a big deal. I was talking to Carlo about it this week. He said, you know, th- maybe it became, you know, years later, it's like the mascot. You know, it's like the town identity. They, they have the high school, the mascot is the dead raisers or something. Yeah. What, it's, but it, these stories, these things happen, it's like the, the, the town takes on the, So I imagine this town, Shunem, this little village, Shunem, where this took place. It's like, we're, we're the town that Elisha brought the boy back to life. Remember when that happened? That, that happened, it just happened down the street down there. Oh, my, my great-grandmother knew, knew the cousin of the aunt of which, that the son, you know, it's like, it's this, yeah, this happened here. Now, okay, so uh, I, wanna, I want you to follow me with this. So can we see this map? So uh, centuries pass, and by the time of the first century, Shunem People weren't living on that kind of that exact plot of land where Shunem was. But there was this other town by the name of Nain, just two miles away, where people were living in the first century. So seven or eight centuries later. You see how close they are on the map there? Two miles apart. So here's a picture. 
And I, I made this on Paint Shop. I don't know why I chose yellow. I apologize. I don't know. But Nate, the arrow on the left, that's where Nain is. And just on the over, other side of that hill is where Shunem used to be. So it's just two miles, just over the crest of the hill. So, so Nain, by the time of the first century, Nain is the village that's, that has this memory. This is, this, we are the place, we're the area where Elisha came and, and God, through Elisha, brought the boy back from the dead. It happened here. Now check this out. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke's way to the right, it's after Mark, it's before John. Luke 7, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. So there's no Shunem by the time of Jesus, but Nain, there is this Nain that's in that same, that same place. And this happens in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So uh, there's a, here we have another woman. This woman actually is a widow. And we have another only son. And what would happen in a funeral in the, the first century? Uh, if someone dies, you would, you would have the funeral soon afterwards... And the body would be placed on uh, like a stretcher that people would carry. Not a coffin that's closed, but a stretcher that's open. And then there would be a, a procession out of the city, outside the city gates, somewhere nearby. There would be a graveyard. Not a graveyard, I mean, a, probably like a collection of caves. Where, and you would have a family cave or a family tomb that all your, your, your family members are buried in. And this, this procession would be led by the closest family members. So this woman, she is the surviving family member. No other children. Her husband's gone. And she would be the first one. And behind her would be the body of her son, carried by four uh, extended family members or friends. And behind that would be other friends and professional mourners. And they would be walking out the city gate, just at this moment, leaving the city. Her, some, her, 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 her biggest fears in this moment being realized. And coming towards her is another crowd. And at the front of this crowd would be this this one that some people said is a prophet. Some people said is a a doer of mighty deeds. Some some people said he might even be the Messiah, Jesus, with his, his apprentices, his friends, and then crowds following him coming to meet her. So verse 13. Jesus would have seen her and she would have seen Jesus. And it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. That phrase, his heart went out to her. There's, there's one word behind that in Greek. And it's a word, it means to have compassion. It means to be, it, it, it's a, an emotional word. It means to, to be stirred up in the deepest parts of you. To be moved deeply. And this word, it actually, it often describes how Jesus responds to the people he encounters. He is deeply, and it's 
guts move. He's, his heart is moved. Don't cry. Verse 14, then he went up and touched the bier, the stretcher. They were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. I wonder what he said. What's the first thing you say when you rise from the dead? Yeah. Somebody give me something to eat. Uh, yeah. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. And for the, ta- the people in that small town, don't you think they would say, again, again. God has come to help his people again. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. This this small village, this rural area, centuries earlier, Elisha had come, the spokesperson for the living God. And through Elisha, the the people who lived in this area, they had seen that the living God is stronger than moat. The living God is stronger than what they most feared. And centuries later, this young man, this, this prophet, this one who is more than a prophet, Yeshua, Jesus, comes again to the same area. And comes to a a woman with another only son. And again, these people see that the God who operates in and through Jesus is stronger than death itself. That in the midst of this woman's deepest fears being realized, she encounters one who is stronger than her deepest fears. Jesus is stronger than what we are most afraid of. Jesus is stronger than what we most fear. This this doesn't mean this doesn't mean we get miracles on demand. That's not what that means doesn't mean that that Jesus is a miracle vending machine. It doesn't mean that. I mean, in in Scripture, in the entirety of uh, the biblical story, I think about nine specific people come back from the dead. And, and, And they come back from the dead, most of them to die another natural death later on. And nine people, thousands and thousands of people, we hear about losing their lives. I mean, even in the ministry of Jesus... He raises three specific people back to life. Many people passed away while Jesus was walking this earth. Jesus' good friend, John the Baptist, was executed while Jesus walked this earth. Jesus being stronger doesn't mean miracles on demand, doesn't mean a miracle gumball machine, but it does mean that ultimately nothing 
nothing, nothing can thwart Jesus' purposes, his heart, his power for those who trust and love him. Because Jesus is the one who himself went to the grave and he came back the other side, not to die another natural death 60 years later, but he came back having defeated death, defeated death itself. That all those who trust Jesus, nothing can ultimately thwart his heart and purposes for their lives. I can trust Jesus in the face of what I most fear. We can trust Jesus in the face of what we most fear. And so I'd want to invite you, even this morning, to ask the question, what are you afraid of? What, what are you afraid of? Not, I, don't, I don't mean spiders. I don't mean mice. I once knew a person who called 911 over a mouse. I'll tell you that story sometime. I don't mean, you know, fall or winter in Bellingham. Winter is coming. The rain is coming. I don't, I, 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 what I mean, I mean those, those real things that we are genuinely fearful of. We could talk about we could talk about the news headlines for the last six months. The real violence that takes place in our world. What what are we afraid of? We could talk about we could talk about politics. We could talk about the the you know moat and bail fear this and so come place your your hope for security and prosperity in that. If that's not American politics, fear this and come place your hopes and your ultimate trust for security and prosperity, safety in that. We can talk about, we can talk about the church over the last several generations losing influence in North American culture and the anxiety that creates in some of us. We can talk about personal things. I mean, there are things that we fear. There, uh, we talk about just mo- money. There won't be enough at the end of the month. There won't be enough when it's time to retire. We can talk about relationships, that, this fear that, that I will continue to be single. That this, this relationship won't get any better. That my kids will make this choice. What are you, what are you afraid of? I mean, you, not just, not the people around you. What are you afraid of? Maybe it's literally death. For some people, the thought of their own death is a paralyzing reality. Maybe, maybe it's a situation in your life. Maybe it's a, a situation at work. 
That there is, there's this tense situation at work. Maybe it's a situation with your housemates, your friend. A, a situation with somebody in your family. That this relationship, it is just hard. And you're going to have to have this conversation or this, this interaction is coming and you are dreading it. What are you afraid of? Or, may, or maybe, maybe you're here and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not, I don't really feel afraid. I don't, I don't know if there's anything I'm, I'm feeling afraid of. Then I would ask, where is your sense of security coming from? Because I think for some of us, it can be, I don't feel afraid. I have total confidence in my ability, my competency, my strength to handle it. It's all right here. What are you afraid of? Now, I'd like to. I want to. I want to do something with us, and and I and I and it's going to take risk. It's going to take courage on your part. You're not going to share anything out loud or anything like that. But I want to invite us to. to I, what I want to do is in, invite us to encounter Jesus in the midst of that fear. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you to close your eyes, and I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a moment of quiet, and in this moment of quiet, I would invite you to acknowledge, to recognize, to feel that that you are afraid of. Bring up that thing that you are afraid of, and feel it. Go ahead. Now, when we heard the account of that woman at name, she was in the midst of this situation she dreaded, she feared. And as she was walking out that city gate, she looked up and she saw Jesus walking towards her and come up and speak to her. The living Christ, the living Jesus, is here this morning by His Spirit. And I would like to invite you, as you continue to picture, as you continue to hold that fear, that you would invite Jesus in your heart, that He would come to you. And I would like to give you a moment just to see His face and to listen to what He might say to you about that fear. I'm going to give you a moment of quiet and just invite him. You don't need to force it. Just invite him to come and speak to you now.
thank you. Thank you for doing that. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to be honest about those things and to face them and to invite Jesus into them. Thank you. I would encourage you if, you, if you sensed something, if you sensed him saying something to you, if you sensed him, even just a posture, uh, a feeling, I would encourage you, even right now, write it down somewhere. You can get your phone out, type it in your phone if you don't have anything to write it on. Those are, these are important things to hold on to. If you didn't, if you didn't sense anything, if you, you said, Tim, I, was, I, was, I, op- I just didn't, I didn't hear anything, I would encourage you, to continue to invite him into that. Continue to seek his voice. Continue to seek out what he might say to you about that real fear. Seek it out. What if, what if Jesus' words to us, his heart towards us, what if we held more tightly to that than we held to our fears? What if his words to us, our confidence that he is stronger, we held more tightly to that than the things we're afraid of? How might it feel to live that way? Think of the freedom. What kind of, how might we live differently? What kind of choices might we make differently if we believed in our bones that Jesus is stronger than those things we're most afraid of? How might we act differently? I mean, Jesus, when, 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 when someone, when Jesus capture someone's heart, when someone starts to walk after Jesus, he invites us into living this radical kingdom way of living. This, this, radical, this radical neighbor loving, radical generosity, enemy blessing, enemy uh, uh, forgiving way of life. And the reality is the kingdom way of life that Jesus invites us into, we cannot live into that if we believe our fears are bigger than Jesus impossible if you if we if i am more afraid of not having enough money than i am of if i'm more afraid of that than i'm confident of jesus ability to take care of me if i'm more afraid of that i can't live a radically generous life i just can't if we're going to live the kingdom way of life we have to trust he's stronger than things we fear if we believe our fears are bigger than Jesus, it will always lead to anti-kingdom ways of living relating to other people. But how good is it? How good is it that he comes and he says, I am stronger. You can trust me. You can trust me. And the kind of freedom that he leads us into when we believe he is stronger than the things we most fear. that I might live in that place day after day knowing he is stronger. That you might live in that place day after day knowing he is stronger. May it be so. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are good. And you are good in ways that I, uh, I, I continue um, to be caught off guard by. I continue. Jesus, I, just, I feel like as I get to know you more, as we get to know you more, that uh, over and over again you, you surprise us uh, at how truly good you are. And, and over and over again you challenge me. You challenge us at the things to let go of, the things to turn away from, the things to hand over to you. And so, Jesus, I know that you are here speaking by your spirit even now. Would you give us the courage, the vision of you uh, to trust you? Pray this in your good name. Amen.